0: Welcome to the Plan C podcast.
1: This week we spoke to Ian Clough, chairman of the Brian Bell Group in Papua New Guinea. The Plan C thinking this week is really about what happens when you lead from the community. So welcome to this episode of the Plan C podcast with me, Neil Gibb,
0: And me, Dave Lester. And today we are speaking with uh, Ian Clough, who's in Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. Welcome Ian. Hi, gents. How are you? And Ian is the chairman of the Brian Bell Group, who are Papua New Guinea's premier retailer, wholesale and distributor of non-food products. But what the Brian the Brian Bell Group is really a lot more than that, though, and that's what we want to spotlight in this episode. Um, established in 1958 by Sir Brian Bell, they really are a part of the Papua New Guinean society now. And in a country that in the most part is non-monetized, with its people living from subsistence farming, a retail business has to be a lot more than just about selling stuff. And this is really where the plan C thinking comes into play, um, particularly with the Brian Bell um, group. And that's what we're going to hear about. Um, perhaps so before I go too much further, I should paint a quick picture um, of what Papua New Guinea is, so some of our listeners might not be that familiar with it. So firstly, Papua New Guinea is located in the South Pacific on the eastern part of the world's second largest island and is Australia's closest international neighbour. Uh, Papua New Guinea, or PNG as it's more affectionately known, has a population estimated between 6 to 8 million people. And it's linguistically the world's most diverse country with more than 700 native languages. Uh, and some 80% of Papua New Guinea's people live in rural areas with few or no facilities of what we might discern as modern life. So most of them don't have access to electricity, sanitation, running water, healthcare, um, and education. Um, PNG is still very much a tribal-based society, with many tribes isolated in the mountainous interior or on the smaller islands in the Coral Sea, uh, having little contact with, with each other, let alone the outside world. Now, gaining independence in 1975, one of the country's principal challenges has probably been the difficulty of governing many hundreds of diverse, isolated societies as a viable single nation. So you can imagine the Brian Bell Group that's trying to serve a nation. Um, it's trying to serve a nation of customers that uh, is actually being difficult enough to govern in the first place. Now, from my own experiences in PNG, uh, the people are kind, generous, caring, deeply grounded in family and community. So with that, um, Ian, perhaps let's start with a little bit about you, your relationship with p and the Brian Bell Group.
2: Thanks, Dave. Um, a little bit about me. I was born in p uh, way back in 1970 and uh, grew up in p at a, a time where there was plenty of transition. Uh, obviously, going from an Australian colony and independence in 75, uh, I was fortunate enough to head off to boarding school in you know, the wide world of Australia, uh, in the 80s. And after finishing school, I came back and worked in the uh, family business. The Brian Bell Group uh, is a family business and uh, and did that for a few years and decided it was time to jump uh, into a space where I forged my own identity, I suppose, and moved to Australia and worked uh, for, for for 25 years with the West Farmers Group, uh, a retailer in Australia. And I guess I always say I'm a very slow learner because when I left uh, P&G in, uh, in the uh, early 90s, my grandfather told me, you can go and do a bit of an apprenticeship, learn what you need to do and come back to work. And, uh, you know, 25 years later, I eventually did. But uh, I've been involved in the business for a long time. I'm a passionate Papua New Guinean. I'm a Papua New Guinean citizen. And uh, uh, Papua New Guinea is my home. Uh, my family, while I live away, uh, PNG is uh, is the home that I've lived uh, the majority of my life. And, and, and as you say, uh, I'm I'm proud to hear you say things like Papua New Guineans are kind people. They're they're very generous, even though they don't have a lot. They're very generous, uh, particularly when it comes to family. And and Papua New Guineans, uh, while they have uh, lofty aspirations, driven by uh, more recent years with access to what else is going on in the world, they are a, you know a simple community that just uh, you know wants to see a better life for them and their families. And uh, it is a difficult life for many Papua New Guineans, but despite that. Uh, you know, most of them are smiling, most of them are, are doing the best that they can, and most of them uh, do a lot with not too much. So uh, um, the Brian Bell Group's been around for 50 uh, – uh, sorry, 62 years. since 1958, as you said. And, uh, you know, part of our challenge is not only to run a, a business that we're proud of, but also we're very passionate about giving back to our communities. So it is a really full circle um, – uh, organization where we, you know, we we work hard with our teams to do the best we can for our customers, but all of that results in great things in the community. So it's a, it's a wonderful place to be. Don't believe everything you read or hear about Papua New Guinea because, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be only snippets, but uh, for those who have been fortunate enough to spend some time here, Papua New Guinea gets into their blood and uh, they become equally as passionate about it. And I love how you talk about the diversity, you know, 800 different languages, thousands of different tribes, I think 5% of the world's Biodiversity in one percent of its land mass, and I think there's thousands of species of animals that are only found in Papua New Guinea. So it is this very, very unique location, and uh, it's billed as the land of the unexpected. And there's no false advertising anywhere there.
0: I can definitely vouch for that. Um, It is certainly the land of the unexpected, Um, and I think, as you said, it's certainly if you spend a bit of time there and. I have been involved there since about 2004, on and off, in in a few different roles and different organisations. Certainly, it get, becomes part of your DNA, actually. And, uh, and this year, I have deeply missed actually not getting back into PMG. I was there in about February, March, with a few clients, and um, not getting back has been um, a bit of a transition period for me actually this year. It's, <laughs> it's certainly okay. missed it. Um, one of the things you, you, you talked about them was you know how how um, are genuine they are and they don't have a lot, but they do certainly sort of have a very much an abundance kind of mentality. Um, and it goes back to that tribe. And I think they're very connected in what's good for the tribe is good for us. And they're really very good at understanding the importance of looking after each other. So, I mean, from, from, a, from a retailing perspective, I'm imagining you guys have to be very well connected with your customer.
2: Yeah, uh, we, we spend a lot of time trying to, you know, understand what our customers are doing and how they're shifting. And, and in particular, in recent years, as uh, Papua New Guinea become more connected, that challenge has become even, um, even greater as, you know, customer expectations move quite quickly. They get a, a bit more exposure to what else is going on uh, in the world. There's a lot more competition uh, externally. Uh, Outside PNG that provides opportunities for Papua New Guineans, and so we do need to, you know, adapt and uh, change our business as our customers are adapting and changing. What's interesting in our business is that um, you talk about the diversity of PNG and, uh, you know, the subsistence farmer. Our business uh, has has such a breadth of diversity that, uh, by its nature, it, it becomes extremely interesting. You know, we've got stores up in the highlands where. You know, 40% of the population are within 150 kilometres, but most of those people, uh, you know, grow gardens and build, uh, far, you know, far, farming and they grow coffee and different things. So that store has to be very different to the store that we've got in the, the middle of the metro location in Port Moresby. We've got, you know, sites all over the countryside and uh, you can't have a cookie-cutter approach or otherwise you, um, you know, you let the customers down in that local market. So that, that in itself creates its own set of challenges.
1: Tell you what, Ian. I mean, the way the Plan C podcast works is one of us tends to know the person we're speaking to, and the other doesn't. So in this case, you know, you and Dave know each other, and Dave knows PNG. I've never been to PNG, so I've got a bit of an outsider's view to this um, conversation. And just reading about you beforehand and listening to you now, I think often in you know the West, if you like, the developed world, there is this idea that we we can bring things to developing nations. But uh, what I've noticed this year with 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 the COVID pandemic is there is suddenly a real interest in Localization. There's a lot of people certainly in the UK questioning the idea of you know big companies and they want sort of localization and local kind of it's a lot more of a human contact. And I just wondered what there might be from your experience, especially having worked in Australia and PNG, what we might learn from what you're doing in PNG.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're right, Neil. I think that um, you know you've seen people move to there's certainly an, a stronger nationalistic uh, approach, but there's also you're seeing a lot more of customers starting to shift to brands that they trust and and organisations that they they have a, a connection in terms of uh, reputation and trust, as I say. And I think in P and G we've got a challenge where you know there is a a real disconnect by the level of imports versus level of exports. And in p you know, manufacturing is quite, um, you know, a small part of the economy. Agriculture is massive. Uh, the resources industry is huge. But uh, manufacturing still has a long way to go. So customers rely on a, a really high level of imported product into p when it comes to the type of products we sell. However, what we've got the benefit of is that our customers have, got 62 years of understanding our brand, being surrounded by our brand and trusting our brand. So we've been really fortunate as people um, have, I'm going to term it, batten down the hatches a little more in uh, 2020, where they've, you know, started to look towards those brands that they trust a little more, that our customers have, or more of our customers have started shopping with us a little more frequently. And you can see that in the way they're using their basket, the type of activity they're doing, and they're trusting us. To do all of that work around quality products and uh, uh, ensuring that we're doing all we can to protect them through this difficult
1: time. You talked about your know, incredible diversity in terms of customers, and you know, I, I I've noticed um, in the countries I've lived in, which is basically the UK and Australia, um, where you know, initially when supermarkets rolled out, they kind of supermarkets were kind of the same wherever they were, and now there's a lot more localization, mainly because of you know the responsiveness of data. Um, But you've got this incredible diversity. I mean, how do you ensure that the stores are actually serving the customer's needs?
2: Yeah, look, it's, uh, you know, like every business, you rely heavily on your, your people. And we're very fortunate to have great people with lots of experience in our business that understand their customers. And I think about we don't have some of the sophistication of some of that you know customer data and that analytics and those insights that you might pick up in other retailers around the world at least in western environments so it's really we call it grassroots uh, uh, understanding where you know and I'll use the the gentleman who runs our Mount Hagen operation he's a senior guy been around in PNG a long time he knows what is Customers are, are doing, needing, and wanting, and so he's very vocal, very active, back into our sourcing team and back into our marketing teams to make sure that we're having the right conversations with our customer. We're having the uh, right conversations with our suppliers about the types of product that uh, we need. And, and, and in fairness, we don't always get it right, but very often we work hard on ensuring that uh, you know you don't send flippers and snorkels to Mount Hagen, where the nearest uh, water is a tiny little river. Uh, you know, at the bottom of a mountain, you, little things like this. You know, we've been we've we've caught ourselves out uh, where we've had cookie cutter approaches to pushing stock to places, and you know, we make uh, silly decisions that the customers think are a little uh, crazy. But we take those learnings and uh, hopefully we don't repeat them. But little things like that that uh, we need to make sure we've got a really strong agricultural focus in those locations. You know, in other locations, we uh, we work really hard on making sure that you know um the the types of products uh, in Goroka, for example it's a big uh agriculture region too but it's our one of our biggest uh, locations for seeds and you and i might think of seeds in the garden and growing flowers but in Goroka, it's about creating a lifestyle for yourself because everything you're buying you're going to take away and uh sell at a market you know one of our biggest products that we sell is a bush knife a machete a tramantina bush knife and you and i might think it looks like a something from a horror movie but uh for our Papua New Guinean customer, that's, you know, uh, that's a tool to build their lifestyle and create a, 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 you know, a revenue stream for them. We've sold 10 million tremantina bush knives in 30 years and uh, customers have stopped calling them bush knives. They call them Trementinas now. And a funny little story is, sadly, when something goes a mischief, when people are having a bit of a stash with a, a bush knife, they the, the paper will read that, uh, you know, they've been... Uh, Hurt by a Tremontina? Well, great branding recognition, but perhaps not so much in the context that it's being used. But uh, so little things like that that we need to think about and and treat the the product range differently, treat our customer uh, experience slightly differently. We we don't just deal with retail where customers walk in and out of our shops. We deal with uh, you know our corporate customers, so larger customers that are on selling to others. We've got a great dealer network. We deal with um, you know real estates and and other companies, so it is a very diverse business and it does create its challenges trying to get that that mix and offer right for each of those customers.
0: So, Ian, how um, how much time would you say, you know, your, the people of the Brian Bell Group spend out in the communities? Uh, is that an important part, to, to be out in the communities, talking to the communities? I mean, they're, they're obviously part of the community too. Do they bring that knowledge back into the into the program, into the system?
2: It's a good question, Dave. I think that probably more so that the the feedback we get brought back in from the communities is just because our team members and the people who work in our business live in the communities. I mean at a senior leadership level we rely on the feedback from the, the, the team members out in the field and while we have parts of our business that actively go and sell in other locations and listen to the communities and the, the people that they deal with, some of the best feedback we get is from our team members who live in these communities, and they talk about the types of things that their their friends, their family are looking for to make their lives better and um, you know simpler. And you know that might be as simple as you know electric coconut scraper that uh, makes that manual process of cleaning out coconuts to um, you know that's so much better. So we, we we take that feedback, we race off to our suppliers and see how we can do that uh, for our customers as effectively as we can. So. Um, And and from a community perspective, our our team members bring back that feedback around what some of those community needs are that then build some of the work we do with our foundation. So, you know, we talk about things that uh, help with young people learning. We talk to them about some of the challenges in the health sector and and that then feeds back into our, I'll call it the the foundation engine, where we start to identify where we need to invest our, our energy and our attention.
1: We're always looking for uh, C words in the Plan C uh, podcast and I must admit I've never heard of an electric coconut. Uh,
2: well there you go. <laughs> you
1: learning for me so C is for coconut. Um, but um, I'm really interested in the foundation. You're talking about this sort of circle of, um, of you know business enterprise and then community and, and you doing something in the foundation. So can you tell us a bit about the foundation and what it does and how it works?
2: Yeah I'd love to. But I think that if I go back to the you know past the beginning of the foundation as such when Sir Brian was alive he uh, he was known for his uh, you know his business uh, acumen but what he wasn't uh, quite as famous for until probably a little later on was his philanthropy and he was very passionate about Papua New Guinea he tipped uh, as much of his resources uh, into supporting uh, the people of Papua New Guinea and he was an enormously generous individual that uh, you know, worked really hard uh, to provide opportunities for Papua New Guineans, both uh, education, uh, providing education opportunities, but also he was very passionate about health. So when he passed on, um, uh, the Sir Brian Bell Foundation was established uh, uh, as a legacy to, to him, and uh, his mandate to us was to, you know, continue the good work of the um, that he started in the health and education area. And so um how that works in terms of our business well the sir brian bell foundation is this is the brian bell group's largest shareholder and so what happens is is the success of the business and the the hard work of all of our 1200 team members that manifests itself in business success feeds in by the way of uh, a dividend to our shareholders and our biggest shareholders our foundation so that then allows us to go and do great work in the community uh, in the areas of health and education and our team members know that uh well we work hard to try to ensure that they know that all of the hard work that they do and all of the you know effort that they make uh, in supporting the customers means that if we do a great job and it results in uh, uh, positive commercial results, that that means we can do more in our communities. And we've been very fortunate just in the last few years to have uh, invested millions back into the health and education areas throughout B&G.
0: That's, I, mean, it's, I think it's fantastic. It leads me into a little bit about um you know, social license to to operate um and my time in png you know i've worked for mostly multinational organizations that um certainly have a stake uh, in png uh, and and they we recognize as stakeholders um that we have to engage with in png particularly landowners that sort of stuff and we understand how wealth is is redistributed back into the landowners um i would imagine the sort of uh, you so Brian, um, obviously understood this very early on in the picks. Um, and whilst his philanthropy, um, was, was for the right reasons, there is a part that's also helping to build brands and helping to, to make you a very trusted member of the community. Um, you know, how would you say the Brian Bell group diff- is different to say these big, larger multinationals that have come in, and uh, how you manage your communities?
2: I, I think uh, I think for us uh, being that we've been in PNG for 62 years we've become part of the community and we've also you know become quite well established and while you you know the work that's been done by some of the multinationals is significant and uh, is making a, a, a huge contribution I think people still um, not only expect us to be quite active in the communities but they also have have grown to um, I guess trust the work that we're doing, and very often we're finding ourselves partnering with other organisations because of our brand association. And I, you know, I don't I say that with uh, you know humility. The piece for me is it's great when you get an organisation that says, "You know, we love the work you're doing in the Sir Brian Bell Foundation in this particular area. How about you come and do some work with us?" And we uh, we end up you know leveraging some of the the brand association with that because the the you know the customers. Uh, you're right, there is a benefit to the business as a result of the work that the foundation does and vice versa. But, you know, the customers see it as one organisation, despite the fact that it operates reasonably independently. But uh, answering your question, I guess, in in a simplified way, I think that the only difference with us is we've been here for a long time and we intend to be here for a lot longer. And our customers or our communities expect that we're you know, actively contributing. It might not be to the levels that you see of some of these big resource companies, but it is very, very specific and targeted to where we think our customers are going to get the most benefit, or sorry, our communities are going to get the most
1: benefit. I was um, talking to uh, someone, a friend earlier, about a dilemma that uh, is happening here in the UK on the high streets where, you know, high streets are uh, emptying out of small stores. And when you actually look at the research, something like 75% of people want to have a high street and they want to have local stores and a local butcher and all that. But at the same time, 75% of people will often go and buy what's most convenient uh, available to them. So, you know, they might go into town to buy something, but then they'll buy something on Amazon. So, um, you know, I'm wondering how you uh, what there is you can do about that, you know, because I can see that could happen in PNG, how you will kind of maintain that kind of uh, loyalty, I suppose.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fair challenge and I guess we, we've got the benefit of a few years lagging some of the rest of the world in terms of, you know, the digital movement that's taking place, the online shopping, the e-commerce activity and and, and also, um, you know, Papua New Guineans really aren't uh, don't have that many options available to them. It sounds terrible. We certainly don't want to treat them like hostages but by the same token, they're, you know, there's a... a, a Probably a lack of opportunity in some of our regional locations for them to do uh, take up other options. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of competition from different traders, but there, you know, uh, all of these traders are centralised in these main locations or more regional uh, hubs, and I don't see any time in the near future with that, you know, changing significantly. I've watched the. The challenges for the high street in the UK. I see the same thing happening uh, in parts of the US, and the US is an interesting one, where big shopping centres and you know large malls are starting to find themselves in all sorts of trouble, and people gravitating back to that convenience offer and that strip strip shop uh, type idea. We we're probably a little long way from that, and I think uh, with the you know the lack of urban development in a lot of our locations, we see there's, a you know, a fair degree of life yet in PNG By the same token, we never want to be complacent. So, you know, we're, we're actively looking for ways to tap into di- digital and e-commerce to work more closely with our customers in that space because that's moving at a rapid pace. But unlike in the UK or uh, Australia where you can watch the telly and log on to the, you know, laptop at the same time and buy something and Amazon drops it off at your door, uh, you know, 24 hours later. Papua uni has its own logistics challenges and uh, there's no door in a lot of places to drop this item off or there's no mailbox to put the letter in. So there's some complexities that we need to overcome before we're in this full-blown e-commerce uh, environment. So I think I think uh, to answer your question, we've probably got a little ways to go before we see the challenges of the UK uh, and other parts of the world. Um, but that's offset. Uh, that advantage is offset a little bit by some of those other challenges that I spoke about.
0: So I suppose the innovation then is probably different for you guys than it would be for yeah you know, the way we think about innovation in, in Australia or the UK Europe. Whereas often we can replace innovation with technology um, for you guys, and the probably the biggest technology piece that's changed in PNG in recent times is the mobile phone. So, you know, we've got 85% of the country that doesn't have access to electricity, but yet 95% of the country has mobile phone coverage. And most of the time I've been in parts of PNG and g and get better mobile reception than I do in Australia. So yeah. Yeah. has there been some developments within your business since with the introduction of, of the mobile phone? Has that changed things a bit?
2: Um, I think not so much the mobile phone, but certainly the digital, the the, the way that the digital uh, access has improved in recent years. So the mobile phone, um, if you look at the mobile phones in P&G, there's a staggering percentage of people that have a mobile phone. But when you look closely at those mobile phones, most of them are, you know, the old GSM phone. And there's, you know, there's a very small percentage of mobile phones are actually smartphones. That, 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 said there's an enormous uh, rapid growth in that area but it's still very small at this stage so Papua New Guineans are using mobile phones as they were intended uh to communicate uh, to each other uh, uh no matter where they are um in terms of uh how our business has evolved we've uh you know, we've done a lot in recent years around how we talk to our customers and communicate it with our customers using, you know, various social streams and social channels. Uh, you know, uh, one of the interesting things is Facebook in PNG is huge. So um, Facebook users per capita, Papua New Guinea ranks in the top 20 or 30 uh, in the world. And it's, it's quite staggering where you see, um, you know, many, many people uh, are involved in communication over Facebook. There's plenty of negatives associated with that. But in recent years, we have talked to our customers differently through Facebook and we've actively engaged with our customers where we never used to. We weren't as active in Facebook when, uh, you know, a few years ago and we made the decision that it was appropriate given the appetite and the growth that we, of course, we needed to use this. And it's, you know, we've grown to a point where I think our Facebook page between, uh, the Brian Bell Group and the Sir Brian Bell Foundation, I think combined, is one of the largest in the country. So we've been fortunate enough to build a loyal following through that. But what that does now is uh, as a result of some of the digital inclusion that's taking place in p we're having different conversations about what e-commerce might look like in a PNG environment. We've got a very strong account customer base. So our customer uh, isn't just a traditional retailer. We've got customers where we have customer account- accounts. They buy product on credit. We uh, service their account like a, um, you know, like a, any other supplier relationship. So we're looking at ways to um, interact with our customers using online portals where they can place orders. We can deliver to their, you know, their warehouses. We can have click and collect solutions for some of our customers. So it won't be a traditional e-commerce deliver to your home scenario, but we're looking at ways that we can work a little smarter using uh, the, the, the digital technologies that are available.
0: And we're um, actually getting quite close to the, to the end of the podcast now. We try to keep them around sort of that that sort of 30-minute mark. Um, and they always seem to go a lot faster than we anticipate. What's the future for, for the Brian Bell Group, and particularly probably the Brian Bell Foundation and how the two sort of work with that sort of 360 um, component to it? Um, what's the next few years look like?
2: Well, look, we're, we're we're going to build on the great foundations that we've already got in place, Dave. I think that uh, we've started working with some fantastic organisations that are doing really good work in their communities, and and I'm optimistic that over the next couple of years we can build on some of those things. I mean, St John Ambulance is a is a major partner for the Sir Brian Bell Foundation. They've got an appetite to start a national ambulance service when they've only you know been able to support communities in certain parts of the country. Three years ago, they were only in Port Moresby in the Central Province. Now they're in a couple of uh, regional locations like uh, East New Britain, and they're moving into others. So, you know, supporting organisations like them to build their platform and build their profile in communities means that, you know, communities in Mount Hagen, in Lay, in uh, you know, in in Simbu can you know call an ambulance and get supported when currently they can't, and things like that. We're working with wonderful organisations like. You know, book prolonged Piccaninny, which is starting libraries all over the country already have, but are opening more and more of them where they're teaching young kids to read and things that we take for granted in a Western society about kids learning to read. But these people are working tirelessly to educate our young people so that they're the leaders of the future. So I see in in our future that we're building on some of that great work. I see the businesses continuing to evolve in terms of the things we've talked about around um, uh, digital uh activity but also you mentioned innovation innovation for us is about different products different customer services uh the way our our stores look and uh, feel for our customer and presenting an offer that to many of your listeners that would just be um you know almost commonplace and taken for granted for our customers that's a significant step up and a you know a new world shopping experience which we're really proud to be able to present to our customers so i see us building on some of the great stuff that's been going on in in recent years,
1: uh, one of the things I'm always looking for when we're talking to someone is what is the real Plan C thinking going on in an organisation. And often, when we start talking to someone, we think it's one thing and it's it's something else. And I think also in the world of innovation, it's, it's often seen as high tech and modern and customer facing. But I think the the real uh, thing learning that I'm getting from you is this: having your foundation as the largest shareholder. Because it seems to create this kind of virtuous circle, where they're obviously interested in you succeeding as a business, because that's kind of giving them the the money, and then they're probably holding you to account in terms of the kind of things that you get interested in and where you put your attention. I think that's quite brilliant.
2: Yeah, I think you're right, Neil. And, and in fairness to uh, you know us potentially taking any credit for that, that was that was by. Uh, its own design you know so Brian was the largest shareholder he passed on in the foundation and you know took on the shares and by default we've turned it into this virtual circle as you say but you know people often say what gets you out of bed and, and keeps you motivated it gets me out of bed to think that you know if I work hard with 1200 of my colleagues I get the opportunity to do some good in the community and for me that's good for the soul and I think that you know our team members and our customers trust that if we're you know if they're shopping in a Brian Bell store and they're getting a good experience, from a commercial uh, perspective, that then actually means that some good might happen in their communities by default. And I think that's a it's a great message to have internally. It's a great motivator, uh, you know, on top of the usual things you see in a business. But it also, it's wonderful when you, t- you ask team members, hey, do you want to come out and help us at a, you know, a library uh, that's celebrating something for Literacy Week? And you've got this you know, a thousand hands go up to say, yeah, I'd love to uh, be part of that because they see that that's the result of the work that they're doing, I think, in a lot of cases.
1: Well, that's brilliant. And what a great place to end. We've come to the end of our half an hour. So uh, I think that's, uh, yeah, yeah. that's the conclusion. So thank you, Ian. No, thanks, Neil. And thanks, Dave. Thanks for the opportunity. to Have a chat.
0: Thanks for listening. Please leave us your comments and remember to subscribe to the Plan C Podcast with Neil Gibb and Dave Lester.